What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another weekly episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, as you know, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. I know it's going great for everybody, because this week... What are we talking about, Rob? What are you talking about? What are we talking about? We haven't even introduced our special guest yet. What are you doing? <laughs> you're, getting a, you're getting way too far ahead of us, man. Drew is too excited, everybody. We have Who could Joshua Harkey here with us once again, man. He's still with us after everything that we've put him through. What's up, Josh? Thanks for coming on. I again. can't. I could not be here. Not for Rhythm of War Part 5, eh? Not, because nope. that's what we're doing today, everybody. We are finally getting to discuss Rhythm of War Part 5, everything about this book, no holds barred. I'm so goddamn excited. I really, I'm just going to pull myself back and try and calm down. Drew, why don't you take us away with a recap of what happened in part five? All right. Oh my gosh. If you can. Well, before Everything. we get to part five, we have some interludes. We have a Hesina interlude. Oh, where, um... Man, uh, basically, she she and Liren have have some conversations, and she gets through to Liren a little bit about his attitude toward Kaladin. Our next interlude is a young man named Aiden, who is determined to become a windrunner. He's a he's the son of a potter, and uh, finds himself by the end of this interlude, uh, very near some some big events happening in Urethiru. And then we go to our final Teravangian interlude where he is at the end of his line. He has given up being smart and not just given up being smart, but he seems to just get stupider and stupider, more and more emotional. And he, he is almost crippled. He cannot, he can't, think he can't act because he's he's struggling with his situation but he's visited by none other than Shah Anat and he convinces Shah Anat to help him he needs a way to get Odium to visit him once again and Shah Anat arranges to send a couple of gemstones to him with her her children her corrupted spren inside and that uh, Odium will then recognize them and, and go check it out at the proper time. Oh, and now part five. I'm going to start with Dalinar. Uh, for, for Dalinar, uh, they, uh, the Coalition has defeated the Singers in Emuel. And he is setting in motion his plan to learn how to become... A proper full bondsmith. He has a, an escort of other knights radiant, especially windrunners, fly him all the way down to Tukar to meet with Ishar. And boy, is that a meeting. Ishar is absolutely terrifying in combat. He's using uh, uh, he's using the surges in ways that Dalinar never even imagined. He nearly steals Dalinar's bond with the Stormfather before escaping through a perpendicularity of his own. And afterward, Dalinar's troops find what Ishar has been doing in his tent, 
and that is experimenting on spren and not just spren but physically moving spren in their full forms from shadesmar to the physical realm and man it's it's extremely creepy <laughs> uh and and we find out that ishar thinks that he is supposed to be the champion of honor and that dalinar is odium's champion so he refuses to to work with him but there's a little bit of of sanity that peeks through where he asks dalinar to come help him as he flees to shinovar after that and after the revelation from Ishar that Zeth's father has been killed, they return back to their uh, regular lines, and Zeth has a little more of a story to, to get to. But we're going to go back to Urithiru first, where Kaladin is marching to battle. He is going to face the Pursuer once and for all, as uh, Raboniel has found the final node and is uh, is working on finishing the conquest of Urithiru. Kaladin fights the pursuer and defeats him, but Moash sneaks into the infirmary, kills Teft, kills Fenderana with the mm, the new weapon created by Navani and Raboniel, and then takes Liren as well. It, this cripples Kaladin as he sees, you know, that he cannot protect uh, Teft. Teft has already been killed. Um, Kaladin begins uh, to become corrupted. His eyes turn red. He is losing himself to despair and to odium. He chases after the fused, carrying Liren all the way up to the top of Urithiru. But in that moment... As Kaladin finally steps up to the edge and chooses to throw himself off, Dalinar convinces the Stormfather to ride the storm once again, and Dalinar helps Kaladin uh, find his way. Kaladin swears the fourth ideal, finally earning his shard plate. He saves Liren, he returns, and uh, leads a rebellion that drives out the, the forces of Odium from Urithiru. And meanwhile, Navani uh, is the target of Moash, after Moash has uh, dealt with, in his mind, Kaladin. But before Moash can do that, Navani sets a trap on Raboniel and bonds the sibling. <laughs> I, I, I'm just, like, overwhelmed trying to, to summarize this, because there's just so Can't much that me. happens. Um... Uh, but yeah, the forces of Odium are expelled from Urithiru. Moash mm. is blinded. He is he is, well, yeah, uh, the victim of a, a a spinal injury, and even though he is healed, he is still blind. The pursuer is defeated. Raboniel is killed uh, after helping Navani in her final moments. The pursuer wakes up only to meet. A mysterious new singer named L, who then permanently kills the pursuer after saying some very scary things. But let's move back to Zeph 
and Teravangian, because we're not done with Teravangian. No, we're not. Todium does indeed show up. (laughs) He does indeed show up. And as Zeth is losing his mind and killing Teravangian, Teravangian is pulled into a vision along with Nightblood. And he kills Rays and ascends to the Shard of Odium. <laughs> oh. oh, man. But yeah. we're not done there. We're not even done there. No, we are not. Because we still have points of view from Shalon and Hoyd. And in Shalons, she, after uh, achieving her her newfound um, stability, after kind of re-assimilating Vale, she chooses to finally cut ties with Marais and the Ghostbloods and uh, paints herself as a full-on enemy. And she has been in touch with Hoyd. And Hoyd tells her to... Uh, say some specific things about Thydekar that we'll be talking about later on in this episode. Mm. And, uh... I can't wait until the end of the episode. (laughs) Oh, God And then we have Hoyd's epilogue. As Odium has agreed to a challenge of champions in ten days with Dalinar, and Dalinar chooses himself as the champion... Hoyd, thinking he's got control of things, finds out very briefly before forgetting that things have changed with Odium, as Teravangian, the new vessel of Odium, erases Hoyd's memory of their first conversation and tries the conversation again in a more favorable manner. And we are left with... A hell of a setup for book five. (laughs) So, gentlemen, let's talk Rhythm of War. Uh, I I don't... Oh, my God. Okay, so... Where do you start? Yeah, that's, like... Writing style. Let's talk writing style. (laughs) I mean, obviously, but with even with writing style, where do we start? We start. I have so many style points to discuss. Okay, all right. I'll be up, up, as upfront about this as I can. I, I'm still blown away by this book. It's a stormlight book. That it is. It it. There's nothing else that need be said. But that said, as the four currently published stormlight books stand at least currently published when they come out. Uh, this is still at the bottom of the list for me, of those four. All right? What? Now. Ooh. Now, I'll elaborate on what exactly it was I didn't like, because that list is just pretty short. I mean, I enjoyed by a huge majority most of everything that we got. The wait was definitely worth it. It lived up to the hype. And of course, you know, because this is Brandon Sanderson, somehow it found a way to surpass that hype. But what I didn't like can be narrowed down into two things, both of which of which are style things. Number one, how many pointless seeming viewpoints we got from Venli or Eshenai. I didn't really appreciate those, especially considering how much was happening around them. It just kind of felt like it was really spiking that momentum. 
Number two, how much of the narrative actually took place proportionately, like entirely in your theory? Really the only two tiny complaints that I have. How about you guys? Those, no, so. those are two complaints that I have. They they didn't they are didn't weigh as heavily for me. Sure. I'll say that. I mean it's still a Stormlight book, so it's far above and beyond the quality that most anything you're gonna read. And some of Brandon Sanderson's best work on many levels. But I just, I, I don't, I don't know. If, like, it, this could very well be the fact that I've read this book once. And as of the recording yeah. of this, which is October 22nd, 2020, book's not out yet, right? I'm sure that once I give it a few more rereads, my opinion will probably change. You know, I'm not really able to encapsulate the entire thing in my head because it was so wild. It was such an insane ride. Um, so it's likely to change, but at the moment I'm just so overwhelmed. I'm kind of struggling to find somewhere to begin in terms of discussion. Like holy crap! Well, well, I want to talk about Venli and Eshenai's flashbacks Sweet. because you brought that up as like a you know a point, uh, a weak point, and I have mentioned those as a weak point in earlier episodes. Uh, on my first reading of this book, I really didn't like them. They were my least favorite among all the, the flashback sequences so far. On my second reading of this book, I like them more. They're probably still my second least favorite. Like, I, I like them more than Kaladin's in Way of Kings. But I think Dalinar's and Shallan's were more compelling um, in, in the other two books. What it really was for me was the flashbacks towards the end of this book that made it. And it was the relationship with their mother. For some reason, reading through it this time, that really hit me. And the way it tied back to the, to the end of Venli's arc, finding the listeners again and her mother bonding, you know, a spren... Uh, that hit home hard and I will freely admit that is likely impacted by what I do for a living. I work for a, a, a software company that specializes in um, uh, basically cognitive therapy and engagement tools for dementia and Alzheimer's patients. Damn. So reading that in their storyline here hits home a little closer for me than it may, um, you know, for, for some readers, but especially this time, Eshonai's final, um, Oh God. Yeah. yeah I will. Say yeah. <laughs> so good. I totally forgot. About it was that so good. Until you brought it up. Like I said, I read oh. it once and really quickly, but wow, that was really moving. That last one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I have to admit, in my synopsis right there, I didn't even mention the listeners because there's just so much going on. But I liked Venli's uh, points of view in, in the current timeline as she becomes a will shaper. Uh, she's not my favorite character, but she has grown on me quite a lot since the beginning of Oathbringer. Um, and and but but you know I'll say I can understand your criticisms I can understand why you'd be less than enthralled with like eighty percent of this book happening in Urithiru, and I can understand why people might not enjoy the flashback sequence as much. 
uh, it was, just because yeah. there wasn't anything as explosive in it as the last couple books. I just appreciated it more on like a quiet, profound level this can, time around. Okay, I can see that. Like I said, this was my first read. It was a very quick read. I'm probably gonna have a lot more to. <laughs> yeah, to it was to a quick read <laughs> on rereads. Yeah, like I like I, you had just brought up the that that last Eshenai viewpoint when the Stormfather said to Dalinar, I, "I you know I have I have made some choices. Some were still mine, and I did this, mm-hmm. and we got that last Eshenai point of view. I forgot about that until he mentioned it. That was so moving. But my my main complaint with the, with the Parshandi viewpoints, specifically with Eshenai and Fenley, because I did enjoy a lot of Relaine, it was just the fact that there were so many times when I was in the middle of reading something incredibly dramatic and suspense, uh, suspenseful and, and explosive, and I'm actually the, it got to the point where I found myself stepping back a little bit towards the end of these chapters that I found so engaging because I was thinking a small part of me was going, all right, please don't be another Parshendi viewpoint. Please don't be another Eshenai <laughs> viewpoint. Please don't be another Vanley viewpoint. I want to continue this. And so when those came up without, without fail, every time I went, damn it. Now it's going to be another 10, 20 pages before I get back to the, in, the insane things that are currently happening. It was just really, it was just a momentum thing. If these were all self-contained into a smaller volume, I'd, I'd probably enjoy it for a lot of the exact same reasons that you are. It's, it is very moving. It's very personal. It's very intimate. I just, it, for me, it killed a lot of the momentum. And maybe that's just what kind of reader I am. I, I really, really appreciate those long stretches. I love the Sanderlanch. I love them. So he's kind of interrupted that momentum for me a little bit. And it kind of took me a little bit out of the book as a result. Well, so Josh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Um, Rob said it was his least favorite of the Stormlight Archive so far. Can you give a ranking? Uh Rhythm of War is my favorite Stormlight book. I, I, that might be tainted by uh, just the newness of it. I'll have to I'll have to wait and let that settle a little bit. Yeah, let it settle um, for a bit and see where it ends up. I I, I will say um, flashbacks were definitely the weakest flashbacks of any Stormlight book for me. Um, they weren't bad. I still enjoyed them, especially that that last one was just incredible um but um they were they were weaker for me i uh i also one of my biggest complaints was how how most of the story happened in erythru i loved an oathbringer when the world opened up and we've got these oath gates and we are we are we're traveling to thalena we're traveling to azir we're it's we're all over the place and i I loved that yeah. Um, and so this one felt so constrained. It, it's one of my com- complaints about Brandon in general. He likes to like latch on to a certain location and have a story happen there. It happens in. Uh, I came to Brandon from uh, Wheel of Time, and the first thing I picked up was Mistborn, and I was so frustrated that like Mistborn, like especially the first book happens all in one city. And I was just like, like, I want to see the rest of this world. And so it frustrates me in a, in a book like this where it's epic fantasy. And I want to see this whole world that's got so much life to it. And I'm stuck in one spot that said, um, I, I understand. I feel like I understand that why it had to happen this way. I, what I, what I feel that's happening here is a lot of character work that needs to happen 
before book five. And, and I don't mean to say yes. that in a way that's, and I don't mean to say that in a way like it, this is just stuff that has to get done. It's because it is good stuff that, that I wanted to see. And so I guess I, I just understand why to do this stuff that I wanted to, to get develop Kaladin to his fourth oath, to help Shallan work through some of her issues. We, we couldn't do that while we're adventuring through the world, exploring all these new locations. We needed to kind of slow down a second and actually like deal with their problems. Um, same for Vinley, right? Um, we ended Oathbringer with her kind of in a new place, right? And and to just kind of launch her off and say like, oh, she's going to go save the world and become a radiant. And, you know, like we had to slow down and say, wait a minute, we need to get Vinley, turn her into a radiant, yeah. get her to the place she needs to be. Dalinar has been through a lot at the end of Oathbringer. We needed to say, hang on a second, who is Dalinar now? What is he supposed to be doing? Um, and so it, it really had, this had to happen. And I love what did happen in the book with that character work. Um, yes. It's some amazing character work for, for everybody. Um, I don't, I don't know that there was a single viewpoint that, that I didn't, that I didn't love. Um, you even had like Navani show up with like, like never would have expected like Navani is going to be this major character. And like, she totally steals this book. Oh my um, God. Yeah. So, yeah. I, so I, I, I will be disappointed if book five is not um, a little bit more explosive, more like Oathbringer was. Um, I was expecting this book to be that way, especially with the title Rhythm of War. I think I expected to come in and see like a bunch of like battles all over the place. Mm -hmm. um, so those expectations were maybe part of that. Um, well, after accepting I, I what would... it is, I really love what it is. Yeah, I, I would say I think that expectation for book five is likely we're at least going to see Shinovar in a very, you know, very focused way. Um, but yeah, so for me, uh, I agree with Josh. This is my favorite book so far. Uh, I think this is the best book Brandon Sanderson has ever written. Uh, it is not without its flaws, but what he set out to do in this book is just plain so good and the satisfaction factor every plot line ends in a way that like yes opens up plenty of new questions but it ends in such a satisfying way and and to the point about Urethiru like, I can understand why people would be frustrated with that as, like, such a central location. But I don't have that issue, uh, mostly because I think it's a great setting. But also because I, I understand uh, why Brandon is writing it this way. Um, you know, like, Josh, you said you came to this from The Wheel of Time. A series that, as it gets deeper, especially when we get to book four specifically, it just explodes. It's we go from our, our main characters being in, in some fairly contained locations to just like literally shotgun blast all over the map. And Brandon is in a lot of ways writing the Stormlight Archive as a lesson learned from the Wheel of Time, where he is trying very hard to avoid the sprawl that resulted in what a lot of readers call the slog. And 
And, you know, and that's why we have things like the interludes, where he's like, I want to open up my world okay, um, and, and have a, a wide cast of characters, but I can't afford <clears throat> to spend the time with them in those places that an author like George R. R. Martin or Robert Jordan, you know, would have done. And so the Stormlight Archive, I expect, is going to remain pretty focused I just hope that, um, I mean, obviously, like I said, we're going to get a lot of Shinovar in the next book, but I also think we're going to get a lot of Urethiru in the next book, because that's apparently where the Duel of the Champions is happening. And, uh, and I'm still pretty up in the air. I don't, I don't know whether I think the book is going to end with the Duel of the Champions, or if that's going to happen pretty early on. Um, I lean a little more towards the former. I think that the Shinovar mission is going to be big enough that the Duel of the Champions is going to be at least a late book climax. Um, but yeah, th this book just utterly blew me away on on basically every level. Um, like like I read, obviously you know I was a beta reader. I I read the beta draft. And after finishing that, I was like, you know, I think this might end up being my favorite book in the series, but I'm going to have to wait until I read, you know, the final version of it. And now I've read the final version of it, and it is un unequivocal. Like, hmm. okay. I, I am just floored. <laughs> yeah. You know, I do, I do need to comment on the interludes. Um, you made a comment about how Brandon... Be uses the interludes to kind of give you some pictures of the other part of the world. That's Less one of my so in this book. accepting rhythm of war for what it is and saying, okay, it's fine that we're kind of constrained to these locations. My, my kind of follow-up complaint then is something that I also experienced, which was frustration that the interludes are not as diverse as they usually are. Mm -hmm. um, the interludes of Stormlight books usually Usually there's at least like one interlude in each set that is just like some totally random, like weird rando person yes. from the corner of you know, who knows where, you know, yeah, and um, yeah, it yeah. just lets you see something that you've never seen before. You don't even know if this person's ever coming back again. I'm talking about like the Ishiks and uh, Mim Pooley. and Pooley. Mim. Like I there's just so much Mim. like weird stuff. This yeah. book did not have any of like none of them. Um, and so that was a, that was a frustration for me, especially when you get to the end here and you have this Aiden interlude and like Aiden, like I do not care about Aiden. I feel like the the purpose of that interlude, whatever it was trying to accomplish, could have been done in other POVs. Like it, sure. it, I didn't need a whole POV of, of this kid just to like yeah build up the you know the movement that's that's happening among the common you know the humans and in the tower. Um, I I wish that there were a few interludes sprinkled in that gave us a little bit more like random stuff going on. More in the cheery, of... cheery. Yeah. Hey, oh. Cheery, cheery was, was a, was a good one. Uh, even that one was kind of constrained as much as I loved it. It was kind of a, it was, it was weird. It was, it was certainly weird, but it, I don't know. It didn't give me a, a sense of anything else that's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I, everybody's listening to this with the context of like, of having read Dawn Shard we're recording oh, yeah. before any of us except for Drew have read Dawn Shard. So like that, <laughs> I think maybe we'll 
everybody else is kind of like knows something that Rob and I do not know. <laughs> so that might change my perspective on that interlude, but. Well, so I, I definitely agree with what you're saying there. Um, I think what Brandon was trying to do with the interludes in this book was instead of like diversifying location for world building purposes, he's diversifying point of view for world building purposes. Compartmentalization. Now we're getting spren and non-human points of view. Yeah. And, but, but I don't know how well that works for that purpose because other than Chiri Chiri, they're all so intimately tied into the main plot. Yeah. Like, if, if you got a point of view from uh, Uapam instead of Sil, you know, that would have been a different sort of spren, you know, radiant spren point of view. But because Sil is, I mean, she's right there in the focus of this whole book, and, and Sha'anat, she's like the key that sets up Teravangian's ascension. You know, like it, it's, it's hard to feel like you're getting something new from that because it's all so close to the central plot. Yeah. I, I also really didn't care for Taravangian's interludes a whole lot, but man, after what happens at the end, like, I don't know that I, <laughs> like I can't, <laughs> It needed that setup, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about is, the is science that... a little bit, oh. since I see I, I like bringing this up. I, I really like talking about this, particularly in how Brandon chooses to approach it in relation to his magic systems. You know, it, it in this book, the science itself. I was I was glowing about it for a long time on previous episodes in Rhythm of War. In this part, it I will admit it started to drag just a little bit for me. I think it was just a mix of being so overwhelmed with so many new like foundation shifting revelations, <laughs> and the fact that so much of it relied on an understanding of of the Parshendi and the rhythms and the tones of Roshar. Yeah, none of those last, which I really find too interesting yet. Although I'm sure I will probably find them more interesting going forward. But like over the course of what 100, 200 pages. I want to say like we we get first we get the confirmation that the sibling oh yeah it's 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 actually the tower, and then things really start to tumble out of control. We get the revelation that cultivation herself has her own form of investiture, life light. We learn that it can be mixed with storm light in what became known as tower light, the the, the name of which I'm not totally psyched about, but oh, it'll probably grow on me fan. in the future. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, the tower light. We start learning about the tones and how they're involved with the influence of that investiture, removing it from spheres and stuff like that. We learn that there are these pure tones or these true tones of honor, cultivation, and odium. Then we start learning about anti-storm light, anti-life light, anti-void light. And by the end of this book, we're hinging entire center points of the plot around something as new and nebulous as anti-war light, I think it was. It's, like, it's just, it's so much. I mean, I absolutely ate up those discussions between Navani and Raboniel about concepts like particle wave duality, matter, anti-matter, and <laughs> Violation. It's like basic atomic theory. 
But then all of these different forms of light became involved, and their links to the tones and the rhythms of Roshar, mixing them together, and then flipping that on its head, creating anti-versions of each. It was, at the end, it started to get just a little too much for me. At least it was too much over the course of such a short amount of time for me. It kind of pulled me out of the book a little bit, but I imagine, again, that's a feeling that will probably go away once I listen to the audiobook <laughs> while I'm welding ten times. I'll probably, uh, that, that complaint of mine will probably vanish. But for now, I'm still just a little overwhelmed. So I have two points, and, and one of them ties directly into that. Okay. And, and these are meta kind of, meta textual These things. foundational shifting things that you're just getting. I want to talk about how incredible the marketing has been for this book. In that we, we fairly early on got, you know, the, the inside cover flap copy that mentions Navani and and this like arms race and everybody immediately is like Fabrials Fabrial tech we're gonna get some sick Fabrials going on here and it's just like and, and it's set up for you to think that way because in part one you have the fourth bridge show up you yeah. have this mysterious entity messaging her about Fabrials and, and trapping Spren and and in part two you have uh, you know the 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 gauntlet, you know the the lift, mini lift gauntlet being created, and and you're like, okay, yeah, we're getting into some interesting fabrials, and then fabrials are just left behind, completely in part three, and it's an entirely different kind of arms race, and it is just my cat's making noise in the background. Um, <laughs> uh, it is just so much cooler and more compelling than. Fabrials have ever been, in my opinion. Uh, but but that that brings me to my second like meta textual thing, and that is just to go back to what Josh was saying about Teravangi and, and Odium. I am fairly confident in saying this. I've read a lot of books. I've read a lot of books over the course of my life. I don't think I've ever read an author doing something so outrageous as what Brandon did by having Teravangian kill Rays and ascend to Odium in book four. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it depends on what you consider the end of each particular part. Like, part, you know, the, the first five or the second five being. Like, I always assumed Odium was going to escape. He's going to destroy Roshar. You know what? That's a prediction. I'll make that for later. No, I'll, I'll talk about it right now. I assume that Roshar is going to be destroyed at the end of, of Part 5 and, and Odium is free to roam. And so, I can kind of see that. That part didn't particularly strike me, like, it happening this early, just in the fact that it happened at all. Teravangian I didn't think Race was going to die until the end of, like, book 8, book 9, book 10. <laughs> I, that was such a huge, huge twist for me. But, like, still, I mean... Ugh. <laughs> uh, it's... I mean, I've seen people theorize that Moash is gonna ascend at the end of book 5. I've seen theories that Adeline is gonna ascend to Odium at the end of book 5. I've seen theories that Dalinar is gonna ascend. It's always at the end of book 5 that these theories are talking about. And no. book four, like what the heck, man? Odium has to roam the Cosmere for Stormlight six through ten. That's what I think. I, think uh, it's I be... don't. I no? think it. 
I mean, are we just going to make some predictions right now? Dallas sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm getting really excited right now. I, I, I completely forget that we actually compartmentalize our talking points here. I'm just riffing. Yeah. Let's save that for no, predictions. Oh going to lose. Oh my god, I didn't write my favorite scenes. Oh well. I'm going to have to think of that as we continue going. Uh, style points, though. I'm at the end of my style points. How about you guys? Um, not quite. Okay. Uh, because we haven't talked about the epigraphs. Oh. <laughs> By L? The musings of L on the first of the final ten days. Yeah, I saved all of that for my Cosmere White spoilers thing, so. Okay, okay. Well, I, I will just say these are some of my absolute favorite epigraphs he's ever done, and that includes the letters. And that includes, and that includes the, the death the, rattles? The, the letter... Oh, way better than the Death Rattles. Oh, um, no! No! I don't agree with that. L, L is... Just so... Uh, I need a word more powerful than interesting. Compelling. More powerful than Engaging. compelling. Like, he... There's this, like, gravitational pull around L... He's so inscrutable and mysterious and threatening. Oh my gosh, I love it. I love it so much. The, the name doesn't the name doesn't do it for me, but the, I love the way I, I mean I, I love just the the first of the final ten days. Like yes. what you get there and you're like, what the heck does that mean? Maybe what, the final ten days of Roshar. Sorry, God, I gotta yeah. stop making um, predictions. I, it, I don't know. It, it reminds me of like um, what he did with the Navani the Navani journal uh, journal in uh, the big, part one of Words of Radiance, where you're like oh, yeah. at mm-hmm. the very beginning you start and it's like you know here and you kind of tell like okay this date is like from here so like. Something's coming. Like, what's what's going to happen? Uh, but this is just so much more ominous than what happens yeah. there. Yes, everything about L is is ominous. I mean, just the fact that he was Vire and he was stripped of his title. Like, do you are you not burning with curiosity to find out? Could this what else? Make another prediction. Not like? damn it. Like stop it! it you're making me do this. Oh, it's so good. I guess we can come back. It's so good. But all right, all right, all right. I'm ready to go into characters myself. Style. Oh, okay. All right. I I don't have any more style points. I don't think. Let me just double check. No. Okay. We're good. We're good. All right. Josh, do I see characters. a style point ruin? No. Okay. All right. I, I Kaladin. Starting I, with our characters. No. No. Let's start with a, a quick one. Yasna. Ooh, okay. So, uh... Yasna's banging Hoyd. <laughs> I don't know if, I, if you believe this or not, but I considered phrasing it very similarly when on my points about wit. One of my character points here, I have an entire section about wit, and I came so close to writing it in almost those exact same words, and I thought... Nah, I'm not going to take the crude route this time. I'll back it out. I'll, I'll erase it. Thank you, Drew, for making the joke that I didn't want to. You're right. You're totally right. Uh, I, I, I am sure by the time this episode has come out that a good portion of the Sanderson fandom has melted down already over, over the revelations about Yasna's relationship with Hoyt. 
there are a oh, you lot mean of when people who when are going to be released. really upset oh, okay. about it. There are a lot yeah. of people who who are going to be really angry she's not a lesbian, really angry she's not going to have a relationship with Shalon or Kaladin. Yeah. Oh, hey, or, sh- you, know. sh- you hear that? It's the sound of people <laughs> rustling jimmies. It's, they're so mad. Can you hear that? <laughs> I can feel it right now. The the sheer amount of theorizing around Yasna's romantic inclinations or or non-existence of them in the Sanderson fandom has been overwhelming since The Way of Kings came out. And I think a lot of people are going to be pretty up in arms about this chapter. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't wait to find out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to defend it. I liked it a lot. <clears throat> I guess I might as well just talk about Yasna and Wit here. I mean, she's in my points here about Wit. Um, I see, I worry about Yasna's end of that relationship, though. You know, like, I'm happy for the both of them, but there's this, there's this very clear sign that she appears to see her role in the relationship as something that she needs to pay somehow, you know. And I quoted here, she could provide the intimacy he desired, though she knew that he found her lack of excitement on that axis odd, perhaps unsatisfying. Like, that line was a big red flag for me. And there are, mm-hmm. on the other hand, there are a few moments where she admits to herself that she finds him physically attractive, but the way she sees him, it's, it's like, at least on her side, it's far more about what he is than yeah. who. And as such a big fan of Yasna, I, mean, I find that worrisome, frankly. You know? So I, I think, uh, as far as their relationship goes, it is not destined for any kind of longevity. Uh, I do think it makes sense that of all the people in the Stormlight Archive, Wit would be the one who could be on Yasna's level. And Yasna would be the one who could be on Hoyd's level. But they both clearly have such, like, ulterior motives in the relationship. And there is such a lack of open communication between them that, like, that that relationship is doomed to failure. Think about the potential, though, of those two becoming jilted lovers. Just the comedic potential alone. (laughs) Right? You know, if, yeah, you, if yeah, anyone had told me fair. before this, yo, Wit and Yasna are totally a thing now, I would have been less likely to believe that he was being as, as apparently honest and open and active in, in the resistance against Odium. I mean, he's, he's not even pretending to be anything less than he is at this point. He's so open about it. He's talking about rays and the vessels and the shards en masse. Like, it, a lot of what he can say, he's saying with certainty now. And he, like, he... He drafts the storming contract itself that Dalimar yeah. presents to Odium. You know, it's signing it with his own name. It's, it's such another pleasant surprise I found out of the man. Like, I dare say Wit may have been my favorite character in the book if it hadn't been for Navani. Like, she was mm. amazing. Just beyond. I mean, my amazing. concern but, there is just how much both he and Yasna are self-centered in their approaches to the relationship. Like, it's... Hoid... Hoyt is much more about, like, how can I get what I want? And Yasna is the same. Instead of, you know, a, a healthy, loving relationship both, where yeah, it's like, I want like a transaction. Help. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. 
Josh? I mean, I... I, yeah. well, I, I agree. I don't, I don't have... I don't know. I don't have too much to... It surprised me. I... I my... Uh, at the very beginning of the book, you have the scene where... Um, Yasna and, and, and Wit like walk into the room or whatever for the meeting. Uh-huh. And, um, and I remember reading that and, and, and Navani's thinking like, Oh, comments about how like, there's like rumors that, and I was just kind of like, Oh, that's amusing. Like, cause yeah, that's yeah, obviously not that. true. Right away. And, uh, my wife was reading and she's like, they're like a, a thing now. And I'm like, no, that's like, that's not, <laughs> that's not a thing. And you get deeper into the book and it's like, Oh, well, Yep. Yep. It took me by surprise. It's, yep. It'll take a lot of people by surprise. I um I totally agree though. The the relationship it feels awkward to me and I, I don't know that I was able to quite put a finger on why and that's totally what it is. It's because they neither of them I don't get a sense that they're like super in it for the relationship itself. It yeah. seems like they're just sort of interested in what they can get out of it. Which which I'm I'm fine with. I don't know. Like, I don't like need to see like some like long-term relationship between Yaza and Wit. Maybe they'll surprise me. Maybe they'll yeah. And, and look, like, we already have our examples of, like, healthy, loving, communicative relationships in this series. We, we can have a dysfunctional relationship. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know, maybe they don't really need, like, uh, like, I, I don't think that, that Yasna is just, like, a, just, I don't know, uh, a typical, like, homosexual, like, I don't, I, I don't think that she has the same she's not looking for the same thing that um that shallan is looking for um in her relationship with hoyt and so you know maybe she doesn't need that maybe maybe neither of them really need the type of relationship that i would that i would expect them to to be looking for so uh, you know maybe maybe they do stick together and you know hoyt goes off uh, world hopping for a, a few decades and comes back and they just kind of pick things right up and yasna's totally cool with that and or she goes um, with him and they become, like, the power couple of the Cosmere. <laughs> I just kind of figured she was, like, asexual myself. I was like, yeah, that's possible. You know, she doesn't necessarily need well, to have a relationship. Not every not every yeah. character, even main character, needs to have a relationship in every book. I figured she might just remain single or at least yeah. mysterious in that way. But, yeah, I mean, was I off-put by it? Not particularly. It, just, it was just surprising, I think. But I still mm-hmm. don't see it lasting. Yeah, yeah, that's more or less how I feel as well. No. Um, shall we move on to Kaladin now? Yeah, we can move on to Kaladin. Let's get our uh, let's get our Windrunner out of the way here. Um, I, again, with with Kaladin, honestly, in, in a lot of what I was saying before, I wasn't really particularly impressed with Kaladin's arc here in this sequence. I mean, it's never a bad time watching Kaladin be Kaladin, watching him kick Parshendi or Voidbringer ass. And as he recovers from his wounds, we see everyone in the tower who's painting the Shosh glyph on their foreheads to show support for Kaladin. I was getting really, really hyped. I was seriously was getting hyped for this. And it all seemed to come around, like, come to a head with this confrontation with the Pursuer. And it kind of, I, I wasn't really having it in the moment, I'll be entirely honest. And this might have been a style point, but I, I figured maybe in style we had enough to discuss. But seriously, like, when, she, when Kaladin shows up, all heroic, ready to fight. He looks ready for it. I was still pumped. When the fight began, though, I kind of started to lose a little bit of interest. There was just something about it that felt like a little forced about the struggle between these two. I've had moments like this during our Wheel of Time coverage. I won't get into exactly the details, obviously, earlier in our Stormlight as well. But when something doesn't 
logistically make a lot of sense, it kind of takes me out of the moment. In this case, I'm talking about Kaladin flying around, slashing, stabbing, kicking, grappling and rolling around with Lesian, the pursuer, and still he's perfectly articulating his sentences. He's not out of breath, he's not drowned out by the impacts of flying, dropping, tackling, you know, there's no hesitation, there's no thinking about his words. It almost feels like this fight is just playing out in slow-mo, and Kaladin is just helpfully narrating for us. And I, I've said this in the past, I'll say it again, I think maybe it's just 1% too much, in my opinion. Just a little something, something organic might have been sacrificed here so that Kaladin could get this inspiring speech out while he's struggling for his life. I, I, I wasn't a huge fan of it. I, I didn't even really much enjoy his end of Oathbringer, you know, speech to Amaram on the battlefield outside Thalen City, you know, the, the spear that would not break. Because there he conceivably had a full minute to at least collect himself and have this conversation, or lack thereof. But this is kind of a little worse. Like, he's in the moment. He's struggling for his life. I, I prefer, like, end of Words of Radiance, Kaladin, or end of... Way of Kings Kaladin, when he's broken and he's bleeding and he's stuttering, he pauses and he's like collapsing. I, it might be kind of narratively difficult to place him there every single time at the end of a book. But here, in, the, in when he's fighting the pursuer and he's waxing rhapsodic about his experience and his confidence, I just found it was like, man, the, the line here that I really highlighted was an incredible soldier who seemed immortal and impervious completely in control, and a fused who somehow looked small by comparison. I just, I wasn't really buying it in that moment. It, it seemed to me like Brandon was doing a lot of telling and not a lot of showing. So, but I realized that took me a long time to get that point out, but that's pretty much everything I have to say about Caledon. What about you guys? Um, so I, I mean, I think you have some valid points there, even if I don't totally disagree with them. Uh, I did enjoy his final fight with the Pursuer. Uh, but mostly, I mean, you mentioned his his sort of march to battle. Yeah. And that scene was so powerful. Uh, for, for people who have read The Silmarillion, it reminded me greatly of Fingolfin... Uh, riding to the gates of Angband. Uh, just one of these mythic moments where one person has become larger than life. And, uh, and, and specifically with the scene with Kaladin. Um, so Brandon Sanderson, for the last couple of Stormlight books, and, and I think with Starsight as well, he, he released like on Spotify his writing playlist for you know that he listened to while working on the book and uh with oathbringer he posted when he finished writing the book that he was listening to the song called alive by phil lober and that song kind of became synonymous with oathbringer in my mind and he just sort of released the whole playlist for rhythm of war um without like singling out any songs and so when i was going to listen to that i was like you know i wonder if a song from this will will stick out and it was a song called superhero by johnny hollow and that song when i was reading the scene of kaladin walking to battle that song was just 
stuck in my head. And it made for such a cool moment. This, this you know, synthesis of music and memory back to another book because it reminded me so much of the Silmarillion as well as an absolutely epic scene that I was reading in the moment. And uh, I, I thought that in and of itself provided enough momentum that I loved the duel with the Pursuer. And the way he killed him at the end, that was some cane <laughs> right there. Like, <laughs> that was... That was yeah, Kaladin like, can be... Yeah, lashing his head to the ground while his body is stuck to the window and just, like, slowly tears off. Like, I... Full stop, that was something that I could see happening in the Axe of Cain. Like, that was one of the most graphic things Brandon Sanderson has ever written. <laughs> I did like it, though. Agreed. Well, uh, yeah. We have to talk about uh, TN, though, right? Like that okay, was right. one of my favorite things here. Uh, so yeah, we we just finished recording Oathbringer Part Three earlier, yeah, right. yeah and even, we yeah. brought up this idea of of voices, you know, uh-huh. the screams of of people, and the idea that maybe you know, there's a theory maybe the afterlife on Roshar is messed up, and I'm I'm on board with that after reading Rhythm of War. Uh, I couldn't mention this on the Oathbringer episode, obviously, but this yeah. TN scene, something's, something's up. I'm a little nervous myself, just because I this myself... Is, this is not just a fabrication in Kaladin's yeah. head. I have a very, very central plot point about it. I don't know, I, I wonder... I can't... Like this. Sorry, go ahead. It's like there's some kind of like a remnant, of, remnant of them like left in the spiritual realm or something that's that people are able yeah. to kind of tap into, I don't know. Actually... If, if there are cognitive shadows, can there be spiritual shadows? Mm-hmm. If if anyone's listening, uh, who's I seen, I, I, I love your audio's out. Sorry, I just realized Boop. I was muted there. It's going to be a solid two minutes there where I was starting to talk and didn't realize that you guys couldn't hear me. Might be. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying I'm a little nervous because I myself have a very central plot point around one of the series that I hope to someday write that has a lot to do with this kind of thing. And anybody who's listened to our 50th episode, our live stream. The pitch I gave for that trilogy was very, very similar. It had a lot to do with this kind of concept. It's a sci-fi, it's like a horror, but again, like something wrong with the afterlife. Souls can't pass on. Trying to figure out what's gone wrong and trying to solve it. So I'm just like, oh no, I'm like, I'm, I'm nervous to see where this goes. Brandon Sanderson's out here just stealing every good idea for genre fiction. It's such a good idea. Oh, he's probably gonna handle it way. F- better than i ever would do <laughs> so i'm still excited i'm still stoked oh god oh um, i don't know I, I like i don't know what to um how like true it is exactly but i love the way that it recontextualizes like what tn went through the, mm-hmm. the way that he it explains like in this little vision or whatever that he he wasn't just like some frightened kid that was just like got stuck there and and died that like he was like he like was there to like be there with the others um and i like i don't know how if that was like if that's true or if that's if like is that just a vision thing or did that actually happen uh, but right. um i don't know just it's a, i loved how it flipped that around and like played right into Kaladin's fourth ideal which 
Yes. Oh, that was oh. amazing. Mm. Yeah, and Absolutely. perfect. I love that you brought the fourth ideal because that was my last Kaladin point here. And I say now his fourth ideal. I nearly called it. I, I, I came so close. Yeah, I postulated yeah. in a previous episode, and this is something that I've heard many, many times. I, it, this is not my theory. This is one that I, you know, uh, one that I chose to believe in after the fact when I, when I read it. I, I thought it would be, I will forgive myself for those I fail. Yep. It, it wasn't exactly that wording. You know, it would be, it would, I will accept that there are some that I cannot save. Something along those lines. Um, it's, I mean, it's a very, very popular fan theory, so I imagine a lot of people are going to feel pretty vindicated when it's so, so close to exactly what they think it is, or even exactly what they think it is. No. Yeah. It's awesome. I, I, I was worried going into this book uh, because I also thought very much that it was going to be some flavor of, you know, I accept that I cannot save all those that I wish to protect or, you know, something like that. And I was worried that if that was the case, I'd be disappointed. And it was the case, but I wasn't disappointed. He, he did it in a way that was still satisfying. I just can't imagine why you would have expected to be disappointed about that. I would have so uh, stoked about that the entire time. Because, because it was such a popular theory. That it, oh. that it would be oh, okay. like a that's bit fair. of a letdown. Yeah, that's fair. So yeah. I, I actually felt the same way about um, Shard Plate, actually. Uh, it was such a popular theory that the the, the cousin Sprin would like be the Shard Plate, and I just kind of like wanted it to be something more of a surprise. Um, but I have to say, Kaladin getting his Shard Plate was just amazing. And I love the way... I, I, I love the... It was so much more than I... Than I thought it would be. I don't know. I thought it was cool when he comes back into the tower and like his his plate is able to like go and like like protect like wrap around other people and come back to him. Um, I don't know. It's it amazes me the way that Brandon is able to like do something that's totally expected and it still wows me. Yeah. 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 And and that really sums up a lot of Kaladin <laughs> in this book. Like there wasn't a whole lot that happened with him that wasn't expected, but it was still surprising and satisfying. You know, like like so many people theorized, oh, he's only going to swear his fourth ideal after someone close to him gets killed. A lot of people thought that was going to be Liren. Uh, and honestly, I kind of wish it were because yeah. I can't stand Liren. But, uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say Even after he has his little, you know, uh, come to the light moment after Kaladin saves him, I still like, nah, man. He, he yep. just pisses me off. But yep, uh, and and it certainly killed me that Moash killed Teft. That was rough. Oh my god! Yeah. And but he, it, of uh, course, he even he has to Sanderson has to spell it out. You know, with with hope in his heart, Teft died. He has to spell it out because you know there's going to be people theorizing of course. Ah, oh, Teft is sticking around. Teft is this. Teft is coming back, returning, yeah, resurrecting right. there. He has to make it very clear mm-hmm. as Teft died. You know, like... And you don't even have the it. cognitive shadow out because he was not invested when he died because Fenderano was killed. So... Well, I mean... I guess they could argue it still would have expanded his soul a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not on board with that idea. But you still I, need investiture to latch on to. I don't know. 
Um, I don't know. I remember reading. High storm. <laughs> I, I mean, I remember, yeah, but it doesn't uh, work that way in Shadesmar for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. I remember reading Teft's uh, chapter in part four where he's like, it ends on like on such a happy note. And I remember like finishing that chapter and being like, oh, that was really happy. Oh, this cannot be good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sometimes, you know, like, sometimes as a reader. has been so dark. Why is this happy? <laughs> it's, a, it's like a really, it's a pl- really pleasant smell that you don't trust. You walk in and you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> There's <Yeah>. no way. <laughs> Something's wrong. Oh. Well, uh, do we want to move on to Navani? Sure, yeah. Yes. I can talk about some Navani. Journey before destination, you bastard. Right? <laughs> you <laughs> bastard. Oh, God. Like, we, we've gotten to my favorite character in this book, Navani Colin. I, I went on, previ- on and on previously about how much I grew to love her chapters thus far. Like, she was always a very solid and dependable character, in my opinion. Her prologue in this book just justified that. And I raved about the introduction of science that we were getting on her part in the parts previously. I was not, though, prepared to come out of this book with Navani Colin at the top of my favorite characters in this one. Yeah. I would, seriously, I would actually go so far as to say that this is not Venli or Eshenai's book. Even though they are the ones who get the flashback sequences, this is Navani's book. And I will say, yeah. fight me on it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Brandon I mean, has said that. He, he mentioned at some point uh, several weeks ago that uh, even though, you know, Venli and Eshenai are the flashback characters, it's really someone else's book. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, he's so. Well, I, mean, I was gonna say he's so right, but few would know his book better than the man himself. <laughs> yeah, and her it is, and she earns it. Like she, oh, gosh, she fights she for it, and it's so cool to like watch her. Um, I, it's so cool to watch her. Kind of, I don't know, slowly embrace that. Like she deserves the that moment where she the, runs her hands through her hair and she, she starts laughing <laughs> because she makes yeah. that discovery. She can't even jump and celebrate. She just starts laughing. And, yeah. and my gosh, the relationship that develops between Navani and Raboniel. Mm-hmm. I- incredible character work. The, the fact that Raboniel's death hits so hard <clears throat> for a character introduced in this book and introduced in a way that is just like pure terror. Like, look at this insane, evil Delicious. genius... And then by the end of the book, she's like a sympathetic husk, you know, and you and you understand like, yeah, she's still like morally bankrupt, but she's sympathetic. You understand her like this is one of the things Brandon has pretty much always done well. And why I'll always push back when people say he's not good with characters, he's so good at making his antagonists dynamic and multi-layered. Starting from a Lantris. Oh my god. I all have a buddy the way who just, till Rhythm of War. Yeah. Every single antagonist who's written has had some kind of compelling, deeper layer. Like, yep. But Raboniel is, is one of the best he's done, period. And, and she wouldn't have worked had she not been set as, like, a f- foil and counterpart for Navani. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Oh. 
this is why I love this book so much. Like, like <laughs> it, it, <laughs> yeah, it's Navani's book, and she was my favorite character. But I still didn't write much down about her. Yeah, like when you start breaking this book down into its constituent parts, basically everything is is like done excellently according to the purpose Brandon wanted for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've said this so many times, how this guy just keeps getting better as a writer. And and I'm envious. <laughs> I'm in awe. <laughs> yeah. I'm you have to be. Glad that you know, he's active in writing and that we get to read this stuff. And thank God he's so productive. I mean, he's no Pat Rockus. He's <laughs> yeah. no George R. R. Martin. He's not waiting eight, nine books, ten, ten years, to, sorry, years to produce something. It's a man who writes several thousand words a day. Yeah, it's, it's just plain remarkable. Um, Josh, do you have anything more about Navani? Uh, not in particular. I, I guess I'll just say that I I did uh, the sciencey stuff. I can see how like some people might be turned off by that, but man, I really just love <laughs> all of the research and stuff that she does in this book. Discovering how all it works, it's it's uh, uh, so much fun to read. Um, as as somebody who really enjoys physics, um, and it's fun to see how it plays into like a, a fantasy novel in yeah, this way. Yeah, it's it funny. Was, it's uh, great to see their interpretation of how of the of these just things that are so complex and abstract that it's really mind-blowing that this people can can conceive of them then again this is a lot of the coming from the fused from Rabonio. but i was talking about earlier like navani's experimentations especially in parts three and four i think it was part four when she's breaking up prisms of light with uh, you know like oh sorry i should say light with prisms and she's experimenting mm -hmm. with emulsifiers and she's experimenting with cymatics and and, and we're, we're getting little hints of uh particle physics and and matter antimatter collisions like i loved all of that my only only complaint with the science is that once we got to the the magical deep science we had all these different forms of the light introduced and their opposites it, it was it was quite overwhelming in that aspect but still how he approached it is genius it's genius i it got me so excited in a way that i wasn't expecting to get excited while reading a fantasy book and it I think that in itself really speaks to how uh, how fresh and how young of an author he still is. Like, it's just, I love the fact that I live in a time where I can read this guy's work in context as it is published. I'll also say, I guess, that I, I enjoyed, um, did you have a point, Drew, you wanted to make about the, that science-y stuff? Um... You look no, like you're no, about to you, say something. You can, you can go ahead. I was going to say I, I enjoyed the uh, the bait and switch with um, the who was going to bond the sibling. Oh god, um, yeah. Because I, I was totally like on on board that it was going to be Navani when the book started, and Brandon totally convinced me it was yes. going to be Relaine. There was maybe a little bit of a dab it in there early on, yeah, and then it was like, okay, it, it Relaine. Relaine's going to be the one who bonds the sibling, and I just it was just so fantastic the way that Navani just comes sweeps into the end there and is like, no. It needs to be me. Like, yeah, we got to do this now because time's up. And uh, and they just, you know, they make it work. Um, and 
That yeah. was cool. And, and with Moash stalking down the hall towards her, you know, mir- mirroring her, um, her son, you know, the death of her son and mm-hmm. speaking her oaths as Moash like walks up to her and then she, uh, she gets that last word in, in time. <laughs> oh, so good. Yeah, that, that actually ties into my last point about Navani, and that's the nature of her bond with the sibling. It makes sense on some levels, but even more so than Dalinar and the Stormfather, this is a fraught bond. This is a bond that could break very easily because of the sibling's nature and proclivities and Navani's interest in Fabriel Tech. And I'm very interested to see how that relationship goes forward and how it's going to affect Navani's studies. Yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't considered that fully. Hmm. Is there anything I have to say about Navani, though? Uh, Dalinar. I only have one small point about Dalinar. Very, very small the hell was with that sudden just like impromptu meeting with ishar like i imagined it to be i or i imagined something more out of this i imagined a st- uh, if you had told me that dalinar was going to meet ishar you know i i in this book i would have expected there to be an entire plot line around that a sequence around that but <laughs> i mean part five immediately kicks off disabusing me of that notion entirely like it was like uh, it i don't know it was just brief it to me there was a, yeah, a lot was. of cool things happening and something really intimidating happening yeah but i was just like oh okay that's it then i thought that would have been longer <laughs> i don't know what i was oh, expecting there i, so, I but i mean it was still i cool. felt the same way as you but i also like this is just another way that brandon like does a good job subverting expectations yes yeah yeah where that long satisfying drawn out encounter is probably going to come in book five but instead he took the the opportunity to like give us this brief encounter but around that encounter build some super creepy and ominous mysteries that we have to grapple with for the next three years until stormlight five comes out (laughs) yeah (laughs) like what the hell is up with those spren corpses (laughs) Yeah, man, that was... It was a cryptic that they saw at the end there, right? Oh, they saw a couple of them. Yeah, there was a cryptic, there was a cultivation spren, there was an honor spren, like... There oh, was the a, vines that were in the, in the mess, yeah, that's yeah, right. No, there yeah, there yeah. were several varieties. Huh. So creepy. But, but, yeah, with Dalinar, um, I... I was a little frustrated initially that he was like, no, I'm going to be the champion. Uh, And the fact that he chose himself as the champion is why I, you know, maybe this is my prediction here. Like he's going to lose. I'm sure he's going to lose. I don't know how or, or what the, you know, the trick is going to be, there's going to be some twist, but I'm quite certain Dalinar's going to lose that duel. Why, because and he named himself? Yes. Multiple I times. I see it. Hmm. He, he, like, it's hard to get into without the context of the contract they make. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, I don't know. But, but hmm. that was... I actually don't... Th- I, I actually don't think... Uh, 
I don't think that book five, the, I, I think the contract is going to fall apart. I don't know how, I don't know why, but sure. I don't think that we're going to hit the end of, like we're going to have that Dalinar and, and Odium are just going to like send, Odium's going to send some champion and Dalinar and they're just going to meet and like have a contest and like someone loses and like they're going to say, oh, well, I guess we got to do the contract thing. Like something is going to go wrong and we're going to go off the tracks of what was expected with the contract. And I, I don't know why or how, but I think that it's, I think that everything they agreed on that something is going to, I don't know if it's going to be a loophole issue or, or what, but I don't know. I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to say, to say that I think Dalinar will lose because I don't think that, I think he's going to be a loser and a winner. I think both sides are going to yeah, it's hard to lose and win. I, I should say, so black and white. I think we are going to get cognitive shadow Dalinar venturing out across the Cosmere in um, later Mistborn eras. I don't think we will. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Wow, that's pretty far into into prediction territory, too, but damn, you just blew my mind. Well, that's what he wants it for. Yeah. yeah. Odium wants yeah. Dalinar fused. Yeah, yeah for his does. wider war upon the... Yeah, I don't, th- I don't think... See, I don't... I just... I have a really hard time believing that, that Brandon will do that to Dalinar just because that's so dark. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see now. This book got I think, so dark. <laughs> if I can just go into like full-on predictions, I like at the end of Oathbringer, I was convinced that Dalinar would would put together somehow the shard of honor and become unity. Um, I still think that that will be the case, mm. um, and I think so even more now because with with Tarvangian being Odi- like like Dalinar and Tarvangian were already set up as kind of this like dual like two different opinions on like how the sh- how the world should be run and how how things should be and what's right and what's wrong and it's just so much more beautiful now that like they can be shards together so and disagree with one another about on an hour and a half ago I pointed out a specific conversation between Dalinar and Tarvangian <laughs> <laughs> yep um, and I had to talk around it. Yeah. Uh, that is the <laughs> one thing that makes me think you, you're you right. That he will ascend. He will somehow reforge the shard and ascend as unity instead of honor. Um, mm. But I... Mm. Just the the dark tone of this book makes me think... That somehow or other, like, even if Dalinar ascends to unity, he may still be bound by that contract and be forced. I mean, oh my gosh, I just. I, I don't believe this for a second, but I just thought, like, <laughs> what if the <laughs> around. <laughs> oh, no, never mind. I'm, I'm, we're not in spoilers. We're not in spoilers. <laughs> I know we're not in spoilers to. yet. Oh, it's hard not that's, to. That's what's getting really tough about this book because this is... Cosmere book. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And this yeah. this is a conversation we're going to have a little later. But it, anyway, so are we done with Dalinar then? Because clearly I'm done there's Dalinar. more Cosmere Dalinar. Um, I, 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 just a brief mention, I... I, I was terrified the way that Ishar is just like, oh, 
I see that you're bonded with the store father. <laughs> I think I'll take that bond. Yoink. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, and, uh, and I guess, I guess, speaking of Dalinar, I don't know, the way that these bondsmith powers are being explored, like, uh, you, at the, in Oathbringer, you kind of picks up, and it's like, okay, like, adhesion and tension, or the bondsmith surges, like, what is, you know, okay, he does some, like, whatever magic. Um, but no, bondsmiths are something else, and uh, I'm really excited to see Dalinar continue to explore what these powers are. Yeah, that's that's definitely a good point. Um, like, Ishar, I, just in that one, like, whatever, two-page scene is immediately, like, the most terrifying person in the Cosmere. <laughs> He's like, oh, I can just connect you to the ground, and it will destroy you as yeah. a person. <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> oh, you have a bond? Mine now. Yeah. You made this? I made this. <laughs> this is mine. <laughs> this is, this is, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's this like is that yours, meme. this is mine. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, um, let's see here. Uh, we have Shalon and Adolin. I don't really have much about them in this part, because we cover them pretty thoroughly in part four. And yeah. at least the Shalon things I have to say are cosmic yeah. spoilers. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, got, I got a couple um, here I can say about Shalon. Um, I'll say I'm, I'm a little disappointed to see Vale go. You know, of all the personalities, mm-hmm. she was kind of my favorite. I, I suppose, I noticed she's not truly gone, as, you know, Shallan, for, for lack of a better word, has actually, you know, assimilated with her. I, yeah. But I feel like Radiant should have gone, too. If, if you're going to get, you know, if she's going to assimilate one, why not all of them? And I was a little confused. Because she has another bit. truth to say. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. Okay. Good. Well played. All right. Um, I was a little confused Probably. about this whole formless is just Shallan, but not Shallan, but kind of still Shallan plot point. I was expecting formless to be like some sort of, I don't know, manifestation of Odium's influence of some sort. But no, Shallan is just being mm. Shallan. She's completely refusing to, to, to face anything and everything that threatens to shatter her in the list itself of those things growing by a mile every time we return to her. I just... I'm not really invested with Shallan as a character. And I really, really didn't like how she treated Marais at the end. You not because I like that? Like, what? I, not, not because I don't... Not because I have any fondness for that man. But the way she so brazenly takes what she needs from the Ghostbloods and then just turns on them. The, the manner in which she's so rude to him and so, so dismissive of everything oh, that resembles a threat. You know, it's just... It's something that can only go in one direction for me, and that direction is a very, very wrong direction, you know? Well, yeah, because clearly this is Hoyd's influence on her, and this is a I guy know. who takes nothing seriously, except when it's directly But it's so clearly going to ruin something. It's so it's oh, such sure. a bad idea to turn on Mraes. And I can't wait to see how it plays out. <laughs> Ah, uh, I mean, I guess I also can't wait since I'm, I, again, not a huge fan of Shallan. You know, after being frustrated with Shallan for a whole book, we leave her immediately doing what I consider to be the absolute dumbest thing she has ever done. There's still this closing paragraph from her point of view. I can't you know? even talk about it, what? though. She still had questions. Things about her past that didn't completely align yet, though her memory was no longer full of holes. 
there was much they didn't understand. And at that point, I took out my phone and I wrote down, oh, great. It sounds like another volume of Shallan retreating every time something gets awkward or difficult because she's too fragile to think about those answers. It was... I, I don't I'm, think I'm just that's not excited be the case. For, I don't think for that's going to be the case. Five. I think she has overcome the fragility thing, and I think it's more that there's a legitimate I've, mystery in her past that she has to uncover. I hope that's the case. I just... With, with so many times we've returned to this Because that's the whole point Shalane. of Veil. The revelation that a veil was her veil over her memories, and that that veil has been ripped away now. That she has she has gained the strength to confront the truth was, about her I, past. I guess I was considering radiant in that crowd as well, but and she does still have another truth to say. But yeah. I mean, if it really isn't about just hiding and retreating from her past again and again and again in the next book as well, then I will be pleasantly surprised. I will eat my words. Yeah, I, I don't think that's going to be the case. Okay. Um, Adolin? Like I said, I, no... I I didn't really have anything for him in this yeah. part. Really? Other than he... Like, you were saying Navani's your favorite character in this book. Adolin's probably my favorite character in this book. Okay. Hmm. He did have a good, it was a good story. I, I feel like it was all wrapped up in part four, so I don't really have anything. Yeah. Hmm. I agree. I agree. Adolin is awesome. Um, shall we talk about Teravangian? I have three points, but there's a lot of uh, capitals, all caps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, How much of it is swearing? Um, only about 10% of it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> But you're right, the first three words are all curse words. <laughs> um, I just, holy crap, with what's going on with Teravangian here at this part. Like, I can't believe I just recently finished talking about my theory, or rather the fan theory that, you know, I just conformed to. That Teravangian, in the last episode I talked about this, we, you know, the theory that his boon and his curse from cultivation was exactly inverse to our assumption that his intellect would be his Achilles heel. You know, and his emotional capacity would be what saves the day. I thought Teravangian was in the top three running for most likely to eventually ascend to honor or whatever the equivalent is afterwards, or at least, you know, defeat Odium. Holy crap! <laughs> was that wrong, though? That was itself in verse. I could not believe what happened here. Teravangian has ascended to Odium. Dude, we were gonna have Teravangium. The metal, like, and Brandon goes the extra step. He takes care to use this exact phrasing, ascended to odium. There are no questions here. I just, ah, uh, it's such a, it's such a ballsy move. And I can't believe Brandon's still finding ways to impress me in that way. Oh, so I want to I tie this back to um, the epigraphs in part two. Okay, which were those? Uh letter okay <laughs> I gotta find the quote um while you're looking for that I just want to interject really quickly I, I'm amused at the time of this before Rhythm of War is fully released and the, the previews are coming out on Reddit yesterday Brandon's someone asked about Zeth what his role is in book four and oh, Brandon said Zeth gets, Zeth gets a viewpoint an interlude, an interlude I believe and has a small but significant role in this book 
You could say that. Small but significant. Those words. <laughs> the man oh. knows what he's doing. He knows what he's yeah, about. Yeah, I've I have been enjoying the absolute hell out of his annotations. You don't know it. Oh, I have to read those. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I really great. have to read those. I'm at the end but of my anyway. character discussion points. So so in in Sezed's letter, he says you seem more afraid of the vessel. I warn you that this is a flaw in your understanding. And then in the next chapter... Oh my gosh, PDF, come on. Or, or a couple <laughs> chapters later. Um, he's talking about, My instincts say that the power of Odium is not being controlled well. The vessel will be adapted to the power's will. And after this long, if Odium is still seeking to destroy, then it is because of the power. And he goes on. Um, ah, dang it. Oh, my, my PDF is moving so slowly. Anyway, the gist of it is that he talks about how the true danger is when the vessel and the shard, the intent of the shard, aligns. And he says, okay, I found it. In truth, it would be a combination of a vessel's craftiness and the power's intent that we should fear most. How scary is that at the end of this book? Well, I mean, Teravangian's capacity strictly relies on what cultivation has granted him. Do you really think cultivation's boon is still affecting him after he's ascended to Odium? Well, then, if it hasn't, then why why is that so terrifying that he's so crafty? Because he's not himself necessarily that crafty. He's a normal dude. Oh, I disagree. Hmm. I think he was I mean, always he says crafty. Himself. He's, he was he, crafty I mean, he, before. He, he had, well, he went to, the, to the, the valley and he asked out of the, of the Night Watcher in, in cultivation. You know, he, he asked for the capacity to say what was coming. But he did this and strike me as somebody who was... Really, really above and beyond clever and cunning and, and totally dangerous so and far I as to align with the intent to of Odium. his points of view after ascending. To his musings as he learns more about the Cosmere. Some scary stuff that he's talking about. I mean, about. it's scary regardless. I don't know why it's more scary because well, of well, Teravangian's so, supposed intelligence. But it is scary regardless. Oh, it's terrifying. I, I think it is because he's a crafty person. Um, and, and this is something okay. that we got from this book that we never really got before it. Hoyd, at least, never really thought of Raze as crafty. He said Raze was yeah. like kind of dumb in a lot of ways. But he was, yeah, you know, apparently no, an didn't. angry person. Yes, he did. In the in the in the in the letter, he oh, he but called, in this book, he specifically it? says like race has never been subtle. He's never been, subtle. you know, like he he's never been crafty. And 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 that's why he, sure he said that he made the whole contract the way he did because he's like, this is how we can beat him, or you know, quotes beat him. Is because he's not crafty. He doesn't think in in subtle ways. Teravangian does.
And Sorry, by the no. time we get our last point of view from Vargodium here, he's like already thinking very terrifying things. Yeah. <laughs> so this combination that Sazed was talking about, I, I mean, this is very clear foreshadowing in this letter. Like Brandon put this in here for a reason. Okay. Uh, the letter, The Way of Kings, chapter 18, mm -hmm. epigraph. Ati was once a kind and generous man, and you saw what became of him. Race, on the other hand, was among the most loathsome, crafty, and dangerous individuals I'd ever met. That is interesting, because Hoyt directly contradicts that in this book. Well, in the letter, <laughs> chapter yeah. 18, epigraphs for the Way of Kings, that, now that he specifically describes race as loathsome, crafty, and dangerous. Now that he is trying to like get help at that point. Yeah, he's trying to convince Frost to join the battle. Yeah, Just, yeah. Because I, uh, I, I, that's how I. I that's and everything I don't how I think Boyd is a. Of I don't think Boyd is a reliable that's, narrator. That's why I thought Odium again was the big bad for the Cosmere and such a big deal because the intent of the Shard and Ray's own Hoyd's admitted craftiness and dangerousness is. <laughs> The scary thing to me about Taravangian as Odium is his philosophy on the world as mm -hmm. being so willing to to sacrifice, being so yeah. willing to assume that his opinion on what is right or what is wrong and what is good is uh, is his decision to make uh, is absolutely terrible. I mean, Ray's we see him like over the course of this book. He almost Brandon really does a good job kind of humanizing Ray's. And, and making us realize like, oh, like he's the characters themselves realize that you know, this is like a mortal that's holding this immortal power. Yeah. And it kind of starts to tear raise down. And you realize that's because he's setting up someone else to kind of take that spot. And um, uh, Taravangian, from what we from the little we do know of Ray's Taravangian's just outlook on the world scares me so much more to have that much power than. Yeah. Um, Yep. You know, and, and, and the, and the intent of the shard, uh, you know, Odium will taint Taravangian with time too. Like he can't mm -hmm. escape the, the, yeah. um, the way that the shard is going to shape his view of things. Yeah, but do we too. have so that's, centuries or millennia? We don't really have that much time. Yeah. Well, yeah, in the short term, it's not. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking long-term Cosmere. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. Do we have any more notes on Taravangian or other characters? Nope. Because I'm, I'm pretty ready to go into Cosmere. Yeah, I, I feel am like, as well. Is there something to say about Venli? I feel like there's something to say about... I actually wrote down Venli uh, question mark and wrote down nothing to talk about her. So <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I, don't I care. talked about her a, a little bit in our style discussion. Maybe I'll just say I, I did like her by the end of the book. I yeah. liked the role she played. And I liked how she has begun learning to stop being so selfish. Yeah, agreed. I agree. Okay. Um, oh, sorry. One more. One more. Uh, Leshwi. Do you have any oh. comments on Leshwi? Oh, yeah. Because um, that one took me by surprise. That I, I, I did not anticipate Brandon turning a, a fused into a protagonist. I like her. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think I liked her from the say part I'm one. surprised that I like her. Um, I'm surprised that she's like a listener now. 
yeah. you know, she's she's been sort of forced into this, but I think she was always inclined in that way a little bit. Yeah. So that was, I mean, once again, I, I mentioned it earlier with Raboniel. Brandon is so freaking good at adding layers to seemingly one-dimensional antagonists. The uh, the moment when, um, God, I just love the moment when Vinley reveals herself to be a radiant, and Leshby just totally breaks down. Yes. Um, She's like, they came back to yes. us. Yeah. I was... I don't know. It was just like came just a punch in the gut out of absolutely nowhere. Yes. I don't know. Like something like Kaladin getting shard plate. It's like, okay, I'm expecting this. It was a great scene. It was better than I expected, you know, but it was there and it was expected. I did not expect Lushry to be like, oh, do you know this one yes. friend that oh. I used to be friends with? Oh, yeah. yeah. Great stuff. Great stuff. Okay. On that note. That's it. Spoiler gloves off. All right. This is this will include anything and everything for the entirety of the Cosmere published up to and including Rhythm of War, except Dawn Shard, because you know at the time of recording this, only Drew has read it. It's still before release. <laughs> Go ahead. If you want to give us a start here, Drew, I will be back in one minute. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> like uh, the Lord of Scars. We gotta start there, we, right? Yeah, I guess we gotta start there. So, hello, Kelsier. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> um, I, I okay. So, I have mentioned in, in previous episodes that I don't think Brandon has done a great job of adhering to his promise that. You don't need to read the other Cosmere books to understand the Stormlight Archive. I really don't think he's adhered to that promise after finishing Rhythm of War. Between Nightblood and Kelsier, and the way Thydekar has been set up as a big-time antagonist going forward. Okay. Dude, why would... <laughs> right away, as soon as I leave, as you, when you bring up Kelsier, that's the moment? Really? That's the moment. <laughs> Well, you told me you to start. start there. <laughs> you start with Kelsier, <laughs> dude. So Rob, so Rob, when you <laughs> when you read that scene with Shalon talking to Brace, yep. So she said she had a message. The, for the two scenes I was gonna have you record yourself reading were the ascension of Teravangian. And Kelsier, and you didn't do either. <laughs> I didn't do me. either. No, no, I didn't. I don't know. I just, I, <laughs> it didn't strike me as the right time. I was there and I was just reading it and I was under the covers and I was on my little phone and I was like, ah, it's so late at night. And it just like, I don't want to force that reaction, but holy crap, dude, I'm kind of regretting it a little bit. I am kind of regretting not having recorded that. Dude. Especially it, it, that final line from Hoyd when he just, like, keep to your own planet, idiot. Don't make me go over there and slap you around again, or however he phrased it. Yep. I was like, wait, hold hold on. <laughs> I, was, I think the, the following what on my phone had about 150 A's. Like, I just, it was like a full page of what the f*** did I just read? <laughs> like... 
Words of Radiance, Nightblood, was an all-time moment for an unexpected major crossover. I'm not sure it was better than this. <laughs> yeah. I think it wasn't. I think this tops it. <laughs> like, but, but, and there's an extra layer to it for this, because he usually only shows up as an avatar. Has Kelsier ascended? <sighs> is he a shard now? What shard is he? If he is, is a, isn't there a shard that just wants to survive? Oh gosh. <laughs> well, so apparently that is only tangentially related to the but I, I, I'll fully admit that I totally missed that this was Kelsier. Like as as I first passed over, because I latched onto that, because I latched onto the avatar. I don't know the the Lord of Scars just like totally yep went same. Every, I mean, I think Odium had just like Tarvangian had just ascended, and so my mind is already like mush. And then I got here, and it was like, <laughs> oh, Lord of Scars. And then I saw Avatar, and I was like, oh, Avatar. Okay, so this is like a, you know a shard or whatever. And I had to kind of. Someone else pointed something out, and I had to come back around and be like, I don't know, I feel like an idiot, but oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I picked up on I it. will say I am curious. You asked about Avatar. I'm, I'm curious if um, Brandon is going to flesh out this, the, the term Avatar yeah. as a Cosmere term to be something more generalized than um, just a, something related to a shard directly, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I want clarification on Avatar. <laughs> Refresh me again where we got Avatar in this book. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. In that... in, so, I was going to say, so Avatar, I mean, Avatar, the term came from, from Oathbringer, I'm, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, the Avatar of Autonomy. Uh, right. Or whatever, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. like a, the, the, the notion being that like a, a shard can have like a, a piece of itself that's a little bit more autonomous than right. the vessel. Um, it, it says it right here, though. Um when she's talking to Marais on the via the via the Sion, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah the Sion, we're still gonna get into that. Let's just drop that in there. Yeah, because we're at the point where we can just say, well, well, by the way, there was a Sion, and it's like no big deal. Yeah. Um. He. Yeah. He. Marais says he comes here in Avatar only. Yeah. We are too far beneath his level to be worthy of more. And Shalon says, tell his avatar something for me. Okay. Uh, yeah. So presumably, Kelsier is um, stuck to Skadriel still. Um, we yeah. saw that in Secret History that he can't leave the Skadrian system. Um, and I, I, think, <laughs> I think that that is still true. I Personally, I think that he's still stuck there. Um, but he's meddling in other Cosmere affairs. Um, via Avatar, whatever that means. I very desperately need clarification on the timeline of Miss Born Era 2. <laughs> and it kills me that there isn't going to be a Rhythm of War signing party in Utah that I can go to this year, like I went to Starsight last year, 
to ask Brandon in person about this. I need... I need to know... <laughs> what Kelsier's situation is as of Rhythm of War. Because... You think he's not going to raffle that? I think he would be too tempted. I think that he would. I think if somebody asks, when somebody asks Brandon that, I think he will give a really cryptic, confusing answer that can be interpreted in several different ways. But I don't think he'll just straight raffle it. See, uh, what what I would, what ideally would have happened, would have been the same thing that happened at Starsight last year, where. We ended up driving home in the same car as Brandon from the signing, and I had an uninterrupted <laughs> hour in the car oh, to badger goodness. him about the answer. <laughs> I will melt into a puddle of envy if you continue. Oh, don't worry. We just talked about, like, The Mandalorian and, and Disney Star Wars. Um, oh, that's year. all. We, yeah. But, <laughs> uh, uh, no. Um, it, I feel like... The Era 2 timeline happening somewhere between Stormlight 5 and Stormlight 7 has to change after this book. I, I really feel like Era 2 has to be earlier. Um, it, okay. Why? We know that uh, Hoyt is there. Yeah. So it has to be at least enough time for Hoyt to get from Roshar now to Hoyd left in the middle of Way of Kings and didn't come back yep. until Words of Radiance like midway through Words of Radiance I have a hard time believing yeah. that it can fit in there possible because that's only but like a, that's only like a left. month or two yeah but there's clearly time dilation effects uh going on unlike their age i don't i don't know i i guess i i think that it takes time to travel from planets personally i i think that it'll i think that it would take weeks or months just to get there There's i i think that Hoyt the... will travel between five and six okay right i mean it we've got be. a decade or it could so be. it could like also be years, right? that he moves era to before way of kings I don't see why they can't really fit in the middle. Because the other thing that that makes me wonder about it is that Hoyd at the end of Oathbringer is bonded to a Spren. Yeah. And it's okay. really damn hard to to leave you know, with the Spren. For Hoyt? I don't know. As well, I don't know. Well, yeah, my, my suspicion he'll figure it out, but yeah. how yeah. fast can he figure it out? I, I think he'll figure it out. My 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 guess is that um, he's going to leave in book after book five, and um, and then that's air two will fit in there somewhere, and then sometime he'll have to come back. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, I like just, my head cannon. Go ahead. This book just opened such a colossal can of worms for the <laughs> Cosmere. Yeah, I mean, in my head, canon. Within by the time Wax and Wayne two hits, Roshar's already destroyed. 
You're, I, you're really on board that theory. <laughs> he really is. <laughs> I really am. I really am. I don't think Brandon's going to destroy Roshar and then have the back five of Stormlight be fully Cosmere aware. Because that's be really breaking his wrong. promise. I could be absolutely wrong. Yeah. Now, I admit he is on record as saying we will have scenes on Bray's in the back five. And he could be being really cagey and maybe all of humanity gets moved to Bray's or something. But I always assumed that just meant we're getting, you know, Harold flashbacks. But... Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Or we could see uh, we could see Kaladin fly there just to go do some reconnaissance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they because yeah. they talked about uh, they tried. Devani asked about yeah, like, yeah. The, the fuse tried to do it, but but the Windrunners can because the Windrunners mm-hmm. have it uh, between shard plate and uh, adhesion to be able to have an air bubble. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> okay. So, I want to propose something about. <laughs> Odium and how how like I think he could be shattering or at least splintering I should say other shards. Right, I found a note that I left to myself after my first read of Oathbringer, right when I had bought this phone, my Galaxy S8 for the first time back in 2017, I think it was. I wrote down after reading Oathbringer for the first time. So how does Odium splinter these other shards? It was in reaction to an epigraph in Part Three. One of the ancient radiants left a message in a gemstone that read this generation has had only one bondsmith and some blame the division among us upon this fact the true problem is far deeper i believe that honor himself is changing and then we learn a little bit more about odium and rhythm of war and race himself and about the circumstances like surrounding or resulting from or even like leading up to the shattering of adenalcium if race makes an agreement and then he betrays that agreement he and I quote, opens himself up to attacks from others. He's afraid of cultivation. I suppose this kind of goes in line with with one of my original theories in that like forcing or maneuvering a shard to betray their intent could be, I think, how maybe he could get around it or get to shattering or splintering. I keep saying shattering, splintering a shard. If I figured if he could have made honor renege on a, on a vital agreement, you know, or then again, since, since, Odium himself can't renege on the same agreement. You know, it's, it could just be something that the shards themselves have to follow by. Um, but I think, I, I think there's something there. Uh, I think you're right, and I think what's there is that honor and cultivation shacked up together. Oh, that's, uh, that, is, that is against the agreement, yeah. We got that in the Oathbringer epigraphs, I believe, right? That was one of the... But I also think, you know, maybe that's what opened him up to attack... But the attack itself was anti-Stormlight. And we saw through, you know, all of these experiments that there, that cymatics are involved in this with the anti-Light. And this made me more confident than ever that this attack occurred in the physical realm at the Shattered Plains. Okay. Interesting, hmm. but how would that then not work with other shards who are also shack or who are not shacking up together? I'm sure they would also have their own anti investiture that would work similarly. Yeah, but it's what probably the... way harder to uh, you know to attack them with it if they haven't broken their their promises. Hmm. I don't see how. Uh, well, so 
I think it is very important to note. Odium, as far as we know, has splintered four shards, right? Three of those have been shards that broke that initial agreement and took up residence on a planet with another shard. The only one that didn't was Ambition, and we know from these epigraphs here that another shard was involved in that, that Mercy was involved. And that was a quite, quite a conflict, by all accounts. Spanned mm. multiple systems, had some pretty catastrophic effects on the Threnodite system. I think, I think that splintering was much more difficult because ambition didn't break the you know the promise it's interesting because the other ones he splintered were devotion and dominion both on cell and honor on roshar with cultivation yeah i i have to say that i'm actually skeptical that that honor and cultivation broke the agreement um, I'm trying to dig it up. Somewhere there is a word of Brandon that... He thought the spirit of the agreement was not broken? Yeah, that yeah. Honor, did, Honor did not think he was breaking the spirit yes. of, the, of the promise, that would, whatever promise was made. My interpretation of that being that whatever they said, we're kind of seeing it one-sided, right? Yes. Because that particular letter was written by endowment. And so endowment is saying like, hey, we promised we wouldn't do this. Um, but maybe the truth is that the promise was something that wasn't quite the way endowment is framing it. No. Um, so, I, so I'm actually wondering if I, honor. I, um, uh, I believe the wording, at least. Uh, I don't know where it would have been but for some reason in my mind the wording was that they wouldn't interfere yeah here it is in chapter 39 of Oathbringer no good can come of two shards settling in one location it was agreed that we would not interfere with one another and it disappoints okay. me that so few of the shards have kept to this original agreement so my thought on this is that Honor thinks I'm not interfering with cultivation we're working together. We're a couple. But, so he, he thinks he's not breaking the agreement. But in reality, just like, it's impossible for two shards to be in proximity to one another mm -hmm. and not, quote, interfere with each other. So he... I guess, see, I, so I guess... Yeah. Oh, you finish your... Sorry. Well, so basically, just like, he didn't expect to be vulnerable. Um... Because he thought he was in the clear, and Odium like found that loophole, so to speak. And it took that's Odium my millennium or millennia to to find that loophole, though. See, yeah, see, I because I think that um, uh, I'm hesitant to assume that the problem with that, I guess, that to me is that it implies that there was a like objective. This is a promise we made, and there was like an objective opinion on what that promise was. And to me, the Cosmere is so much more wrapped up in intent. And so I feel like if Honor made this promise that I'm not going to interfere with the intent that this is what interfere means to me, that he's bound by what he, by that intent. 
Um, and so I feel like their intent allows them to do what they did without breaking that promise. I'm wondering if um, honors, because we know that honor was kind of like going crazy around the time of the recreants. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if, if honor broke some kind of promise well, around the time of the recreants. What that if weakened they him. made that promise before they fully understood the shards and what intent meant? That that could be true. I mean, yeah, his his he could have made the promise under one assumption, and then yeah. over time he realized he, his opinion on that changed. Because I just, I mean, that's, maybe that's this is just a you know, a mystery for later in the Stormlight Archive, but I don't know what sort of promise Honor could have broken um, more recently. You know. Yeah, in, in the discussions in the last. I've had actually a discussion like with people in the last like two or three days. Uh-huh. Um, I'm wondering if, if it had something to do with, uh, Baado Mishram. Cause we get into this whole, like, this is back into part four, right? But Calica is writing about how, like begging them to free Mishram because mm-hmm. it's related to the recreants and affected all the sprint. And I, I don't know. I'm kind of wondering if honor made some kind of promise to, Oh, and I just, that being read to you that one I, I gave you a little call out with the one uh Malishi is confident, but uh yeah. Nay's daughter Kuzeto warns of unintended side effects. Hmm. Like I'm wondering I'm wondering if, if Honor had a promise with the being that became Baado Mishram from before and then like after it became an unmade and they realized, Oh, we gotta do this thing and then Honor was I don't know. Oh my this gosh. is getting into like Yeah, Rabonio was trying to unmake the sibling. I mean, it seems like to be part of their MO, so there's a big threat. Yeah. Unmake it. That could... I could unmake. see this being the case. I could see this being the case. So, I... Hmm. I don't know. This is just I getting into like discussions. super wild theories. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this is... These are the kind of weeds that we like getting into, though, so... Um, but yep. do we have any other uh, Cosmere notes... I just want to discuss what you guys think about uh, Kaladin after, you know, discovering Teft is dead. His eyes changing color. Uh, yeah, so they... it's he was he was chosen and being set up to be Odium's champion. Uh, Odium actually Odium's called champion. that out, um, I believe, when he was talking to Teravangian before Ray's died. He, he mentions that he's now lost two champions. Yeah, and if you go back further, all the way back to the Vire interlude earlier on in the book, there it's kind of I think when you reread that with this context, it kind of looks like Odium was hoping to make Kaladin mm-hmm. his champion here. Okay. Um, and, okay. But but there's kind of this kind of conflict because Odium wants Kaladin to be his champion, and Moash basically thinks like nah like that's not gonna work out I, he just I need to make him kill himself instead yeah yeah um, and and by the way this puts the kibosh on the theory that many people still hold online that Dalinar is still gonna be Odium's champion they're like oh Odium named him his champion he has to be Odium's champion now it's like no he declined it he apparently has that power and Odium moved on to plan B and plan B was Kaladin and that failed and now I'm just going to say this. L is going to be his champion. Yeah. Okay, okay. That was one of my predictions going forward. I'm glad you brought that up. Yep. And I I am terrified by that. So much in this book terrifies yeah. me because we just don't know. <laughs> He's so good. 
He's so good at setting that up. Just giving you just enough information. <laughs> Such a small amount, but still barely enough. Like what? To what scare kind of fuse does L? What what surge does he have? What is his deal? Who knows if he has surges? I, like what is what <laughs> is he bringing to the table that we we just can't even appreciate? Oh my god. L gives me um um Thanos vibes. Yes, like, yes, yes. <laughs> oh I, my I'm, god. Like, I'm I, just, I can't Avengers like not guys, so I can't really uh, speak to Oh that. dude, we have to work on that, man. It's still it's good I just stuff. like it's still good stuff. Read his like or his epigraphs like with that like voice and it's just like it just yeah. scares me. Uh, Josh Brolin's <laughs> dulcet tones. And just the casual um, way that he murders Lesian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I couldn't help but notice a brief mention of Care of the Windrunner. And for once, I actually got the reference. You know, it, like, I, I just became friends with Care over Facebook something like a month ago. I had, I had no correspondence with her at all to speak of, but I, I feel like drawing a point on this first time where I <laughs> read a line, and, like, and I was like, oh, okay. I got that reference. Speaking of Avengers, like Captain America going, I got that reference. This time I did. Yeah, there are when, a lot of tuckerizations uh, in this book. Uh, so Stargile, the, uh, the light weaver. Who's Stargile? Uh, Steve Argyle, the artist, who's done a bunch of stuff for the Star Oh, yeah. I should have caught on to that. Uh, I should have caught on to that. Jor the Bouncer uh, got married in this book back in part one to yes. Chris, I believe, is his wife. Uh that is uh, one of the beta readers and his wife, Christy. Oh, congrats. Yeah. Damn. I, I didn't even catch on that first time to to, to Lynn in, in Oathbringer. Yeah. I was, it, it took a few rereads before I was like, oh, my God, I should have caught on to this, too. But for the first time in, in this book, in Rhythm of War, I saw Kara the Windrunner, and I was like, oh, okay. I got that reference. There it is. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, um, Thytokar. already got through that. Oh, um, Thytokar. Mm. Okay. Um... Raboniel, she kills her daughter, finally, with the Racium oh, dagger, yes. reversing the flow of that anti-void light. We see the Parshendi die, the, the, so the fuse die. And something seems to escape her mouth. Navani thinks it looks like smoke, yeah. as it, and I quote, as if her insides had burned away. But she doesn't note smelling anything burning afterwards, so what are we thinking? What was that little bit of black smoke slash vapor? Um, I think it ties back to Nightblood. It's like the destruction of investiture. Oh. Oh, that's cool. I like that. Okay. Josh? Thoughts? I don't know. I, I hadn't really paid much attention to that. Yeah. Uh, I like what you said. Yeah, the, I, I did notice that this time around, and I was immediately, I thought of Nightblood and the black smoke. Hmm. Confident and somehow still full of hope, Teft died. Oh, God. Jeez, why did he do that? Why did you just read that? Yeah. What the hell, man? <laughs> <laughs> Why did Brandon write that? That's a better question. Oh, my God. My heart was ripped out of my chest and squashed in front of my eyes. That was so bad. So heartbreaking to read. So, uh, it was beautiful. Uh, but how, was how vulnerable do you feel reading the epilogue where Hoyd doesn't know what's going on? Oh, my God. I thought I misinterpreted it. I was like... Well, surely I didn't understand that. I'm going to go through and re reread it again. And my second time through, I was like, yeah, I really still didn't understand that. So I read it a third time. I just, I couldn't find a hole in it anywhere. And it, that scares the out of me. Yeah. I think it should. 
he's he's been every epilogue so far the last three epilogues it's been wit on top of things knowing things that nobody else knows playing with everybody and uh yeah it's it's pretty terrifying that all of a sudden he's come here and helpless I don't know if we've ever used one word more on a single episode of Inking Out Loud than we've used the word terrifying on this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The end of this book is just plain scary. (laughs) I don't know. I may have used the F word a little more often last episode in Oathbringer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not not counting the F word in Kane episodes. (laughs) Uh, Oh, my God. (laughs) But, man. It's a good way to put it, though. It, it, it really is. I, I mean, seeing the character who who has been built up as this rock of knowledge and control, having that control stripped from him is very unsettling. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Boys, I think I'm done talking about Rhythm of War Part 5 or the book as a whole for now as a, as a preliminary first read. Are there, is there anything else that you guys want to There is. toss into the mix? There is. We okay. haven't gone over our three favorite scenes. Oh! <laughs> okay. That's, yeah. I've, got a, I've got one question about it. It's, it's more of a... Um, curious what was about, about you guys' speculation on something... Okay. Do you want to do that before or after? Well, let's talk about it before. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm curious what your big picture expectations are for book five. Because it's it's interesting. I'm excited that we've got this like ten day deadline, right? Like, oh, I'm so excited. Supposedly, about that. this contest of champions yep. is going to happen in literally just ten days. Do you think book five is going to actually happen within ten days? Or, no. Uh, um, I think. I think the tenth day is going to happen in part four. Yep, I was going to say seventy-five percent of the way through the book, and then we are day going 10. to have another, an extended climax from that into part five. And like I said earlier, I kind of think Dalinar's going bye-bye for uh, <laughs> from Roshar. Roshar gets destroyed. Say it again. Um, now, I, I will say this. I actually have a... Odium escapes? Um, an, Odium escapes? An interesting thought. No, I don't think Odium's going to escape. I think he does. No. Because Trail isn't Odium. I didn't say Trail was Odium. Well, but I, I think... <laughs> I think Dalinar is going to uh, uh, get pressed into service. And I, ooh, that's dark. I want to ask you guys. Navani is a bondsmith now. Mm-hmm. Do you think she is capable of doing the same things Dalinar is, or is he capable of them because he's bonded to Tanavas's cognitive shadow? Say that again. So Dalinar is doing things as a bondsmith that were apparently not previously doable. Do you think Navani mm-hmm. can do the same things, or are those Dalinar specific because he's bonded to the Stormfather, i.e., Tanavast's cognitive shadow? I don't know if I have to say either because ra- different radiants are like different light weavers express their light weaving different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not. 
I think it's just uh, like, one radiant doing something like, a different way. Can Nevani open a perpendicularity? I don't think. Oh no, because that, that's because the Stormfather himself is the, the is is what brings the stormlight. I think that definitely exactly. is unique to Dalinar. But yet, but I, mean, I imagine they, they'd share some things and. But Ishar Nevani probably has a few skills that he doesn't. But what about Ishar? He can open a perpendicularity. Well, we don't know anything about Ishar. <laughs> like we we have we are so fucking lost on Ishar in general. I don't know if I could commit to even responding to that. I don't know. I I just like to. Oh, I I can't wait to. We're gonna like have. We've got like tons of like shard cast episodes planned, and I just can't wait to like dig into some of this. Yeah. But um, uh, with Ishar, like, who the, what is going on? <laughs> um, I'd also like to point out. Void binding. We still we know don't, nothing. We still yeah, don't really. know what void binding is. Um, so like, there's this whole like That's other like point. magic system or whatever that we don't even know what it is. Like everybody, a lot of people think that the fused are void binding, but no. I I think that this book is pretty clear that the fused are using surges. Yeah, they're not whatever void binding is. Uh, there, and you no, can dig in. Like, no there's a lot of different. Well, and, and illustration. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but we know for sure that the the chart in the back of Way of Kings is the void binding chart, right? That's the, that's what Brandon has called it. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, well, so then there, there, there are ten no of them. Reason for our distinction. And the fuse, there are yeah. only nine of them, which indicates yes, yeah. they are using surges, and they just don't have access to the surge closest to honor. Yeah, you, you, I mean, you can dig it like online. There's all sorts of like discussions about it and kind of evidence. I think that feels to me pretty conclusive because in this book, for example, like they only ever call it surges. You know, the it, when it talks about what the fuses are doing, they're using surges. There's no yeah. there's no mentions of the word void binding. And to me, like if Brandon is just like saying like, oh, the like the fuse like what they're doing is void binding. Then like if if there's no more mystery to it than that then he would just be using the term, but he's not. Yeah. So it, it's something else that we haven't seen. Um, and I, the fact that the humans came from Ashen at Odium's, you know, involved with Odium just kind of makes me wonder, like, I don't even know what to think Ishar's like, like, where is his power even coming from? Yeah. Uh, because it, 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 it predates, um, it predates the honor blades. It predates surge binding by a mile. It, it, uh, it predates, predates the, the existence radiant, of the fuse. Obviously. Like yeah. the fact that they call him a bondsmith in this book before the knights radiant were formed. Because in other instances where people talk about like, oh, this herald was this order. And they're like, no, no, no. The, we were before the knights radiant. The only one who was a knight radiant was Nail. Yeah. It's crazy. Anyways, um, but yeah, uh, three favorite scenes. Three favorite scenes. Yeah, three. Okay, sweet, sweet. I can start us off with number three. Okay. The dog and the dragon. Hmm. Or is it the dragon and the dog? I can't remember now. Dog and the, the, dog dragon. And the dragon. Dog and the dragon. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> awesome chapter. I mean, it was dark, but it was some of my favorite Hoyd ever. You know, I just thought it was awesome. And, and the scene that that narrowly nudged out, <clears throat> my honorable mention would be Teft's death. Not because I liked seeing him die. It was heartbreaking. But because Teft had such an epic ending. And it, 
how much more reason it gave us to hate Moash. But still, my, my third place was, was uh, the dog and the dragon. I really, really liked that. Okay. Uh, Josh, do you have a third favorite? I kind of want to like say my first favorite third because I know that it's going to be taken before I can get to it. <laughs> um, no, but I'll, I, and I'm also kind of making these up as I go. But I'll, let me, I'll say um, <clears throat> the fourth bridge, the arrival of okay. the fourth bridge in Hearthstone. Um, I loved part one in this book. Um, I loved Fabrials all of a sudden coming to the forefront. I loved seeing Navani's like, um, uh, this is her book. And so like, it's, it's so cool to see like the progress they've made with Fabrials. I love seeing the shift that this book makes towards uh, all the science involved that, that comes with the light. Um, and so um, it's, it's, it's a fun moment where, yeah. Uh, who's expecting an airship all of a sudden to come like flying out of the clouds and land and, and pick up the <laughs> entire population of Hearthstone. Like it's just a really cool moment to me. Yeah. Again, Avengers, you know, the, the airship coming and, and oh, evacuating yeah, yeah. an totally entire right. city full of people, you know, oh. like, yeah, totally right. We made a lot of Avengers references today. So right. my third favorite scene is Kaladin's duel and discussion with Vasher in chapter 15. Oh, I forgot. For oh. I think pretty obvious reasons, <laughs> um, it was just such a lore bomb, while also being a great character moment for Kaladin. Uh, just, just tons of fun. Just tons of fun. I totally forgot about this scene. Into yeah. like entirely forgot about this scene. Oh my god, it didn't even make my top three because I forgot about it. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Rob, your second favorite. So I just I just switched up my second and first favorite. I'm gonna go in this order instead. My second favorite scene, which I thought was my favorite, is uh, Navani and Zeth, and and the way that mm-hmm. that scene ends, how personal it was for both like both of them, and then just those those final words when Zeth asks her, "Do you hate me?" and Navani says or she whispers, "Yes," and Zeth says, "Good." good thank you mm-hmm. i don't know what it is about that but it it was such a, a silent reverent moment that i had reading those words i was like i was again in in awe of of how brandon sanderson can write so few single syllable words and still impale you with them it, it was so well done i thought the scene was perfect so my second favorite scene i thought it was my favorite it's my second though mm-hmm. navani and zeth josh <laughs> um, this gets hard. <laughs> I've got to go with. I, I kind of like almost like want to redo my third one now because I, <laughs> I'm thinking of like something else that's high, but I, I've got two others <laughs> that I like better. Um, I, I'll have to go with um, uh, Navani after the sibling has gone silent, like after they've realized they've been betrayed, the sibling has gone silent. And Vani is just like at the end of her, like she doesn't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. And she just pours herself okay. into yeah. her study of light. Cause she, she, she doesn't know, she doesn't know what else to do. And she's just desperate to like, I don't know, figure out what she's going to do. Um, she's stripped of, she's completely stripped of her identity. Um, she doesn't know who she is, what she's trying to do. And 
don't know. It's, it's just a really beautiful moment to me that, that first chapter after that, where she's, um, digging into the science of stormlight. Um, she gets into the figuring out the rhythms and, and especially when Rabonio comes in and like it clicks to her that it's something about, uh, the rhythms. It's something about the tones that is the key. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just an amazing chapter. So I'll go with that. Nice. Yeah, that nice. that was a really good one, um, and and I'm gonna agree with you. I mean, like, it was so hard to pick a top three. <laughs> I could do a top ten from this book so easily. Oh my god! Like, yeah. But okay. my second favorite is we chose. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. You did like. That so one I just bit. apparently I just picked Josh's favorite. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll I'll leave it at that. I'll let I'll let Josh talk about it more uh, for for his favorite. Okay. All right. So I guess I'll go forward with my favorite scene then, and then we'll get. Uh, wait. Right. Yeah, your favorite. I think we're on me now again. Yeah. I'm I'm losing track here. It's been it's been a long day so far of recording. All right. <clears throat> my very favorite. Rocks goodbye. And oh. Part one. Oh good lord. That that was the time in this book that I did cry. I did. I'm I'm man enough to admit. I shed a few manly tears when when Rock was hugging Kaladin and he was saying, you know, I probably won't see you again, you know, in this life. It'll probably be in another life. Now it's just uh it's kind of a wreck at that moment because of, you know, it just I'm still remembering their first days together in in Bridge 4 as, as slaves in in Sadius's army, you know. It's it was such a moving moment. And to see Kaladin brought to tears himself, and to see him moved like that was just—I, uh, I, it was just in response. I, it was such a powerful moment for me, and I almost forgot it happened until we were talking about it in this part. Yeah, that's—I think that's my favorite scene in this book. There were scenes that were more exciting, scenes that I had even more physical reactions yeah. they, they brought out of me, but there wasn't anything this intimate and personal and and, and silent that I just—I liked. This had to be my number one. Okay. All right, Josh. Talk about Maya. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's it's amu- it's funny to me that like my favorite like moment in this book was like of all the crazy stuff that happened in part five, it was still this um, moment in part four. I don't I don't know what it was, but um, I this scene hit me harder than anything else I, I i thought it would be really hard for anything to pat to like um to pass uh you cannot have my pain mm. um but the 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 raw emotion of this scene with maya blows me away still like every time i read this yes. still i get goosebumps um and i've read it many times at this point um <sighs> You cannot have my sacrifice is just like, oh my good. I just, I love the reframing of that, like of the, of the wording, right. Of you cannot have my pain. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, man, it, um, it's so raw. That scene is so raw. Just, yeah. Yeah. There's not like a uh, there's no polished like when Dalinar when I read Dalinar's scene at the end of Oathbringer when I read you cannot have my pain it feels very 
polished. It feels very like this is the end of the book. This is the climactic moment. Uh, the scene with Maya is just like it comes out of nowhere. Uh, it's not even like the end of part, like the last chapter of part four or anything, right? Like there's even there's there's still other stuff that happens in part four, and it's just the end of this trial. And they ask, um, I mean, they they ask Maya to testify against Adolin. Severian really liked it. Yeah, and um, <laughs> oh man, I don't know. Just her honesty. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm dying right now. <laughs> Severian really, really liked this part of the book, dude. He agrees. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? I don't know. I, I'll I'll just I'll go on and on, but I, I, I just love this, uh, the raw emotion that comes out of Maya here. Um, I love Adolin coming up, you know, next to her to help her out to like hold her and support her in the midst of her testimony. Um, He even like helps her. You know, she tries to like speak the, the second ideal. and he like helps her finish it. I don't know. There's just it's just such a touching scene. It it is. Yeah, it really is. I I agree with every word you said, and, and and that was why it was, you know, my second favorite. But my favorite was one final gift. Um, and and I just I want to read this again because it's just so good. Where Esha and I thinks it is enough. No, he said. I can give you one final gift. Esha and I stopped stretching and instead found herself pulled towards something powerful. She had no eyes, but she suddenly had an awareness. The storm. She had become the storm. She felt every rumble of thunder as her heart beat. Watch. The writer said, you wanted to know what was beyond the next hill. See them all. Just. I'm trying to like read this like super emotional, heartfelt moment. And my cat is on a rampage in the background. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He brings joy. Yeah. um, This, this chapter crushed me. It absolutely crushed me. Um, yeah. What else needs to be said, really? I I, I can't I can't say anything else. Well, um, I am about ready to go into the final draft. Any closing thoughts, gentlemen? Other than that, this is the best damn book Brandon Sanderson has ever written. Let's do it. It was. <laughs> <laughs> it was incredible. It was an incredible experience. And I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to read it early and record these episodes with both of you fine gentlemen. Josh, thank you so much. You've been with us for like 10 hours or 12 by now <laughs> just so far. And it, it like you're you're a soldier, my man. Thank you. Thank you so much. No kidding. All right. Yeah, let's yeah, get into the final draft fun. then. All right, Rob, do your thing. So we about an hour and a half ago now, we were bitching in our... Uh, <laughs> we weren't bitching, it, but a little bit in our style discussion, we were talking about how a lot of this book, a surprising amount of this book, took place in Eurythiru. And how there's probably going to be some people that are like a little uh, surprised by that. I was very surprised by that. It, it, I, I was a little... I, I don't want to use disappointed. That's too strong. Um, 
it was just a shock a little bit there. <laughs> but I was thinking about that when I saw this beer here. This is one I've brought on before, and I didn't realize that both of the beers I had today were actually double IPAs. This one is a double IPA as well. I don't like it as much as the last one that I was just drinking. That would have been Oathbringer Part 3 that was... Uh, here it is, Adventures in Time Surfing. This one, though, is from Collective Arts Brewing, hey. which I've brought on many times before. I have featured this particular draft, but it hasn't been... Oh, it was for, uh, actually, a Wheel of Time episode for the Shadow Rising, it would have been. Hey. This here is Life in the Clouds. Oh, nice. And that's what I was thinking nice. about with our huge portion of the uh, the plot taking place entirely in Eurothiru. Yeah. That's a good beer. I mean, it's great. It, it, I, I do like these double IPAs. They're, they're very, very thick. They're very, very refreshing. Very citrusy. Um, yeah, good stuff. Very nice. Uh, Josh, what have you been drinking? I, uh, I I didn't get a chance to go out and uh, find a, a clever beer to, to bring with me tonight. But I figured there was really no better way to handle the ascension of Tarabangian the introduction of the Lord of Scars, um, oh my goodness, shard plate, and a, a billion other ridiculous things <laughs> yeah. um, than with a glass of sapphire wine. So uh, I had uh, some oh? uh, Bombay sapphire gin. Oh, heck nice. yes. I love it. <coughs> very, very nice. I love it's it. It's just occurring to me now that I forgot to talk about Fabrials and the different metals and how they work. I was so stoked going in with the preview chapters. Oh, yeah. Totally forgot to talk about them. Oh, well, that's for another day. <laughs> they kind of faded away and became less important. And, yeah, I know. I remember like, Drew what? told me. He was like, dude, dude. You're just really wait. not going to be that invested in this part of the book. That's one of the, like, that would be, like, 98,411th on the list of in interesting things about this book. Trust me. And I was I like, okay. It's totally right. Like, well, I, I don't know what to expect, like, going forward with Navani, like, with the sibling, like, not wanting her to do, like, their their yeah. modern fabrics right. the way they're doing That's them. That's a big like, problem. I, I'm really curious to see what yeah what happens. Yeah. The source of tension. Yeah. Man. All right, Drew. Okay. Well, I am drinking a New England-style India Pale Ale from Barrier Brewing Company in Oceanside, New York. Uh, very highly regarded, um, hazy New England-style IPA uh, brewery. Um, this is part of their two-hop rotating series. This particular IPA is brewed with Mosaic and Brew One hops. I've never heard of Brew One before, so I assume that's some new experimental hop. But Mosaic is very, very popular right now. It's it's one that imparts a lot of like fruity tropical flavors, and that is very much the case here. You get a lot of like pineapple and mango out of this. It Ooh. is it is pretty delicious. That but does the, sound good. But this one goes out to our newest shard. It is called. Deadly combination. Oh. Mm. Oh, that's spicy. Well that's I like that. Yeah, yeah. That is a deadly combination, and Sazed would I would agree, I imagine. And and I will also note uh it is not only Vargodium that is a deadly combination, but some other things were combined in this book. Yes. With two they deadly were. effect. So uh yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna raise a toast to that. 
I will drink. I only have water left at this point, mm. unless I want to drink more whiskey. I don't think I do. Where's my water? <laughs> oh, here it is. Toast. Cheers. So, this has been... I don't even know what episode. I stopped counting I in, like, this Oathbringer. is episode 97 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Wow. Next up, we are, at long last, step away from the Stormlight Archive, and we will be heading back into uh, the Black Company, in fact. We will be covering Shadow Games, the first book of the South, by Glenn Cook. So if you're a Black Company fan, you're definitely going to want to check that out. If you're not a Black Company fan, go out and buy them and read them right now, because they're amazing. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, if you want to support the podcast, check us out on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. You can get access to all sorts of fun benefits. We have a monthly newsletter, monthly short fiction written by Rob or myself, uh, monthly short episodes, things like that. But, uh, yeah, this has been quite an adventure. And I, I can't believe we're done with Storm. Yeah. Uh, for now. For, for three years. <laughs> um maybe who knows maybe he's just gonna drop the uh the rock horn eater novella on us in like eight months and, but uh but yeah it's been a hell of a lot of fun i have been your host drew mccaffrey and with me my co-host rob santos yep right here Okay, <laughs> thought I lost you for a second. Um, yeah, it was. It was. But uh, yeah, and our special guest Joshua Harkey, thanks for coming on. Thanks for inviting me. Oh yeah, we Let's we needed that um, that that shark cast perspective for this episode, especially. We definitely did. Okay. Much appreciated. You're like wrapping up Stormlight. I'm like just getting started. This is like yeah, the first yeah. chance I've had to talk about it. <laughs> That's all we're going to be talking yeah, about for the listening, next man. year. Yeah, yep. so um, if, if you want more Cosmere content, be sure to check out the Shardcast. Uh, these, are, these are the guys who, I mean, they, they know, what, these they are the know guys. it. <laughs> these are the guys. thought I was that's obsessed all, with Cosmere. That's all I need to be said. <laughs> um, but yeah, so as always, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye, everyone. Peace.